This week, we're going to be talking about hidden Atari arcade games of the early 1980s. We have quite a few games to talk about here, some of which uh, I had heard of, some of which I hadn't even heard of for this episode, but all of them come into this Atari conversation, and Atari really is sort of the powerhouse of the 80s. Uh, interesting that it doesn't even exist anymore, they went under, but uh, we're going to talk about some of their arcade games. So the first one that we want to get to is called Cloak and Dagger from 1984. It's a multi-directional shooter, and it was released originally as a tie-in to the movie Cloak and Dagger, uh, which also was released the movie as a double feature with The Last Starfighter. I've never heard of Cloak and Dagger. I have heard of The Last Starfighter. Great movie. Uh, we might get into a little bit of a conversation about that movie as well, but talk a little bit about Cloak and Dagger, the game first, and then maybe we'll get into the movie and stuff. Cloak and Dagger, um, I've never played it. Uh, I've only seen footage of it, obviously, uh, on the interweb. It's quite a rare cabinet, right? It's a really rare cabinet because it, it, it was never a cabinet. So... Atari, you got re it's released in 1984, I believe. Yeah. So now this is after the video game crash, correct? So Atari's trying to grab, everyone's trying to grab onto whatever last breath they can get out of arcade games, video games in general. They're trying to reboot themselves. Everyone's trying to reboot after the crash. So this is not a standalone cabinet, which makes it super rare. What Atari did was Atari saw the potential in a multi-directional shooter. So this goes back to, um, I believe it's, uh, Jake, your favorite is Robotron. Your, yep. your favorite Williams Robotron's game is Robotron. Great. So that's a mention Excellent that game with, like the, with the two, two joysticks, right? So uh, Atari built this game and sent it out as a kit. So it was actually specifically kitted for uh, Williams Robotron cabinets. So sense. here they are, and they're you know they're trying to grab onto something and make some little bit of money after the crash, and they designed the kit to fit into their competitors' arcade cabinet, which also makes it very rare because uh, it was a kit. I don't think they really sent out that many because I don't think it was that much of a popular game. Uh, interesting that it was a movie tie-in. I believe it was developed under a different name at first, and then when they saw the movie licensing there, they changed the name of the game altogether. And that movie, I had never really heard of that movie. In the movie, there's a cartridge version of Cloak and Dagger featured for the Atari 5200, and that game was never realized and never released for the Atari 5200. So that cartridge or cartridge case or box was merely a prop in the movie, and that was it. Right. Uh, and another thing I didn't realize also was that it was released as a double feature initially with the wonderful space opera The Last Starfighter. Uh, Which sort of has features of video games pretty prominently. Yeah, I mean, it features The Last Starfighter arcade game, which right. also didn't exist. So the cabinet you see of The Last Starfighter in The Last Starfighter, that game, it was bullshit. The game didn't exist. There was a game in development at that time to coincide with The Last Starfighter movie that uh, just, I guess it fell into, into the middle of nowhere, you know, and it was never developed and never released, never published at all by Atari. Years later, I think around 2004, somebody 
either found the dumped ROM or bits and pieces of it and then developed the rest of it and then, you know, put it out there on, on MAME, I believe. And I believe people have now uh, built cabinets and or cartridges uh, for the last Starfighter. Because there is artwork, there is artwork out there for it. There is side art and control panel artwork out there for it that somebody kind of took it from the movie and developed it in their own, you know, graphic design program. And basically, they've published it online or they just make it, you know, they make it on their own. So just a quick question. Uh, the game Cloak and Dagger, is that like specifically running off of the movie or are they just two completely separate ideas? Because of the licensing issue with the name, like they switched the name entirely, right? They switched the name entirely. I forget what the what the game was originally called in development. Because the game looks an awful lot like the movie. But yeah, the side art yeah. looks exactly the same. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's why they that was, they did okay. it. So they when they when they realized they were gonna get the licensing to tie in this game, they changed the name of the game in development and made it Cloak and Dagger. Okay. And then that's what you see the arcade game as. And then, of course, they had to, you know, like so many things that Atari did was a rush job at that time. They obviously had to rush the arcade game out to arcades, so they would kit it. And the easiest way to do it, I believe, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming at that time, was to kit it and then have arcade owners put it into freaking Robotron cabinets. Yeah. So let's go... Um I'm skipping over one that we have on our list because I, I want to get to that, but I think that's a very interesting story, so uh, maybe we'll talk about it last. But we have two more that are also... Uh, well, one is called Cloud9 from 1983, and this is another um, likely conversion kit. Um, you, you have probably uh, in the show notes here, which uh, I guess it, it's, it's a trackball game, and I think it's supposed to be a conversion kit for Millipede and Centipede. Um, yeah, I was kind of going based on that assumption because any kind of photographs I've ever seen of a Cloud9 arcade game, uh, it kind of looks like it would probably be sent out to arcades to be kitted. So, which means if you already have a tra uh, if you already have a trackball game that has two buttons on it, you could pretty much just swap the game board in, right? Put a new control panel overlay on there. Put a new marquee on. Put a new side on on, and now you have this game called Cloud Nine, right. which the concept of the game is kind of weird and interesting. You're shooting rain clouds, I believe. Okay. You're shooting rain clouds and other enemies because you don't want your, I guess your, I don't know. You're de you're defending something. Either it's like a, a house or some sort of area. You don't want it to fill up with water. So, very simple concept. Very simple game. I'm assuming it was a kit. I could be very, very wrong. It was not. It could, it could have been released as a standalone. Um, and I forget the year it was released altogether. Do I, ha I, do uh, I have it? 83. 1983, yeah. It's 83. Right. So, uh, that's another reason why I kind of assume it, it was probably a kit. Yeah, I mean, it's also just possible that it used exactly the same 
uh, cab and pretty much everything else as centipede and millipede. And Atari just manufactured it using the same Crystal Castles, stuff. same thing. You know, yeah, watching the gameplay, it seems like it would definitely be something that would run off of millipede or centipede. Right. It, it looks like an interesting game because I, I think I've does. said before, centipede and millipede are two of my favorite arcade games. So. Yep. You I'd basically like start on a platform and, and the water fills up and you have like a layer of bricks you're trying to shoot through to get onto the surface to take care of the clouds. And there's right. bats as well. And the um, the skyline's pretty nice. I guess it has a, a couple different cities. I saw one where it shows um, New York with the Twin Towers at the it time. It looks like New York City. And then, But now there's other ones where it looks like Chicago as well. So I don't know mm-hmm. if it bounces back and forth between different cities as you move along. Possible because I'm seeing the Empire State Building here with the twin towers in like wave four, it's showing, but as you go further, it looks like, like in wave 12, it looks like Chicago. Hmm. So, another one that I want to talk about, which is another technologically pretty interesting game, we have from 1984 Firefox. So, yeah. this is yeah. this is a game that's also based on a movie with Clint Eastwood, apparently, which I haven't heard of this movie. Um, and it's Atari's laser disc game. Which, if you don't know, uh, Laserdisc was kind of a craze. It begins kind of with Dragon's Lair um, yeah. in the arcades. We and definitely have a full episode on Laserdiscs. Sure. Coming. Oh, yeah, definitely. But very simply to put it, the idea is full motion video games. Yep. Right? So, like you have on home consoles, like with the Sega CD kind of becomes famous for this, and some of the early PlayStation stuff, you're basically, there's a movie playing, but you're playing a game kind of overlaid on top of it. Exactly. So, for it, Firefox. There's some crazy stuff like that. Do you ever see uh, Corpse Killer? Yes. Yeah. That's oh, Sega yeah. CD, right? Right. Yeah. Crazy game. Yeah. Or uh, Sewer game. Shark on the Sega Sewer CD Shark. is another good one. Yep, Sewer Shark. Well, I don't know if good, but yeah. it's another one. <laughs> yeah, it, ain't, it ain't too great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so that's an interesting one because I saw some video of it. Again, a very, again, for, for me at least in my experience, another really, really rare one. Right. I've never seen it, never played it. I had no idea it really even existed until I started kind of doing research on the arcade in general. And I was like, wow, they made a, a game out of that really random Clint Eastwood movie from 1984. Like, why would you even think of doing that? But it's, it's there, it's there, you know, dip their, dip their foot in the water of Laserdisc stuff, right? So it's their one and only for Atari. And apparently they, they screened like 30 or 40 hours of raw footage from the movie that was taken during during filming of the actual movie, mm-hmm. and they pick out a lot of uh, helicopters flying over. Um, I believe it's Iceland. I yeah, forget uh, where it is. Greenland and Scandinavia. Greenland, sorry, Greenland, Scandinavia. And they pick up a pick out a lot of that footage, and they put that into into the game. The cabinet again is a like a the cabinet design is a weird looking cabinet design. I believe they used that cabinet design. For the same as uh, Major Havoc. So, yeah, another mm. really kind of strange, interesting Atari game. Again, you know, early 80s to mid 80s, well, mid 80s, 84, 85. 84. 84 is Atari's, you know, last gasp, right? right. You know, like right. they are, we are grabbing at straws right now right. to put whatever the hell we can out yeah. to, to get some money back in the coffers. Yeah, and just quickly kind of talking about the gameplay it's an interesting thing because you're basically dogfighting with uh some fighter jet it looks like an f-14 um but you're watching essentially a movie so the movie is playing out in the background with the planes flying around and then you have a little 
sort of targeting reticle, which is your gameplay, and that's what you're firing on top of the screen. And I guess what'll happen is when you actually shoot down a plane, it cuts to a clip of the plane going down. So typical kind of FMV stuff, but um, it, it's interesting to see Atari having only one and doing this. Yeah, yeah. Well, that also, at that time, the expense was drastic. Right. For making Laserdisc games. Um, and we will get into that in a later episode when we talk about Dragon's Lair and Space Ace because even to this day, um, if you want to restore or you want to rebuild or you want to build from scratch, from nothing, uh, a Dragon's Lair cabinet or a Space Ace cabinet and you go to get the actual Laserdisc player, like an original one, right. that they put in those freaking cabinets dude those things will run you eight nine hundred bucks for yeah. a, for an original laser disc for for a dragon's layer which is which is crazy when you think of it because you're like why don't i just do it on dvd but if you want an all original and you're you're freaking hardcore right yeah that's that's the price you 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 have to face to spend the cab itself looks very odd for um firefox because it's like the monitor is wider than the entire cabinet. So oh, really? Yeah, it's got yeah. this pedestal base. Yeah. yeah, and it like juts up into the air, and then there's the monitor. Mm. Yeah. They also had other ones where they actually have the full cockpit as well. Yeah, it was a cockpit. Yeah, it was, it was put out as a cockpit as well, like Star Wars was at that time. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I definitely want to... I'm looking forward to that episode on FMV games because it's just as a technology, it's really interesting to me. Um, I mean, there were video games on uh, VHS tape that were FMV. I mean, they weren't particularly good, but no, it's kind of an interesting technology. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move next. Go so ahead, Christopher. I want to talk about Food Fight first before we get into <laughs> what, what is probably more interesting, which is our next game. Yeah. But I just like Food Fight as a game. <laughs> um, Dude, I love, I freaking love Food Fight, man. <laughs> and what's crazy is, um, again, 83? Uh, yes. 83, it's released. Um, and it wasn't extremely popular, but it is one of those games that's uh, rare in the wild. The price tag for an original one in fully restored condition is up there for collectors probably around the $5,000 mark if you believe okay. that. Wow. Um, the cabinet is uh, die cut specifically so it's profile you can see it from a mile away if you're an arcade collector or an arcade person or mm -hmm. a person that knows their games like, like we do. So um, I have the absolute pleasure of a continued restoration on one of ours, of, of my own, because I came across a cabinet that was, um, it was painted all red. It was a King of Dragons cabinet, which is a, late, a later Capcom beat-em-up. Great beat-em-up. And I saw the profile of this, and the, and the guy who had it was, like, he knew what it was, but he kind of just gave it over to me for a song because he was like, look, if you... I know there's only one person who's going to restore this, but it is die cut a certain way for the ice cream cone, I believe, up on top yep. of the, you know. The side art is just bright and vibrant. The, all of the artwork is just vibrant as hell. It is a special joystick that was, it's very rare for the time. It's very rare now. 
I don't think it's a 49-way optical. It could be. It could be a something-other-way optical. But Atari only used it in that game, maybe one other. It's got a special grommet on it for the, for the joystick as well. And it's just this bright, beautiful cabinet. But what's funny is it was not popular at the time. Mm-hmm. They didn't move a lot of, that, of those units. So that's why it makes it kind of a little bit difficult to come across an original one, you know, all intact and stuff because obviously people played it, they got tired of it, and then what they did was they replaced it with something else. So when I started stripping away my food fight that you guys know I'm restoring, it's going to take me a long time, but I took the first layer of paint off it, which was the Red King of Dragons paint, and I there was another side underneath that, and that was for a game called uh, Russian Attack for Konami, which we'll get into again later episode down the line. And then when I got that side art off, put the you know paint thinner on, the paint stripper on, whatever. I got down to the food fight art that was uh, you know obviously trashed, trashed, and it's a, it's a wreck. So I had to peel all that off completely, but. It was just interesting to see that in the restoration process, you know, peel off the layers, or whatever, to get to the to get to the food fight. But um, what do you like about the game, Chris? I, I just really like. To be fair, I've never played it on any kind of original hardware. I know it came out on the seventy eight hundred. I might have to buy myself a copy of that. But I've seen uh, gameplay of it, and it's just. And I played it, um, you know, on a computer. But it just seems like a really kind of unique game, right? You're sort of chasing around all this food and stuff like that and you're this like weird mouth that almost looks like the rolling stones kind of thing um it's just i don't know it's just a really kind of unique interesting looking game yeah and i feel like it's just it's it's unique again you know you're not it's not just a copy of something you've seen a hundred times it's a different kind of thing and i didn't know all of that with the different uh joystick and all of that that i'm looking forward to playing it on the arcade hardware because Sounds interesting. It's a difficult game to restore. It, it has been very difficult for me to restore because I want to get it to original as possible. Right. And what's funny is the joystick, I ended up finding one that is a close cousin to the original joystick mm-hmm. because the joysticks go for a few hundred dollars if you right, find right. a secondhand on online auctions like you know your eBay or whatever. Um. I do not have an original board set. I may or may not mister it if I get to that point. I would love to have an original board set. But again, that's pricing things when you're talking about restoring it. When you're talking about restoring a cabinet of that caliber, you know, I have mo- a lot of the guts for it and I can do it. But the board set's really, an original board set's really important, you know, to play on the original hardware you know, the original software to play on the original hardware. The monitor I believe I have in there is original to the the game. I believe it's an Atari monitor. The serial numbers from Atari are still on it, which is really kind of cool. But the board set will set you back 500 bucks, 600 bucks, 700 bucks easily. I've seen seen the board sets go for 7, 750 in recent memory within like the last year or so. Like I've watched a couple of auctions and people have gotten that much for them. And then you got to figure out the harness too, right? Then you got to right. get a specific harness for that that pinout for that game. So then you got to, you know, build the harness as well. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it looks like it sold less than two thousand units, which right. is not very many. So no. I'm, I'm sure that it 
uh, probably got also probably got converted quite a bit into something else. Um, oh yeah. So. And what know. year did this release again? Eighty three. Eighty three. Yeah, from eighty three to now, only two thousand units. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. And when you think about that, you say, okay, they moved two thousand units. You know, when I look at that, and I do exactly what you just did in your head, Zach, I say to myself, okay, well, it's 2022 right now, and the game was released in 82, 83, whatever. Mm-hmm. Fast Four forward, if they only moved 2,000 units, how many original units are surviving yeah. right. in original intact? No restoration yet. Yeah. How, many are, how many could actually be surviving out there in the Nearly wild? Impossible. You know, and it's not that many. And the majority yeah. of them that are survivors or in survivor condition are obviously restored, by professionals, but they're also obviously in private collections because yeah, when, when they go up for auction, private collectors know know what they're worth. They will right. they will and go after them. Up. Yeah. And they get they, the inside scoop. Yeah, they will yeah. go after that food fight cabinet to complete their collection easily. Some insider stock trades going on. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Um, okay, <laughs> so let's move on to what I think is maybe the most interesting story of what we're going to talk about, and that is Battlezone from 1980. Now, Battlezone, just talking about the game, and then we'll get into a bit of the story, is a pretty interesting game in itself. It is a three-dimensional, vector-based tank simulator, I guess. Simulator might be a bit strong of a word for a game like that, but you're driving this tank around in a 3D environment, and you're uh, firing. I think you have a gun and missiles and things like that, and you're taking out enemy tanks, um, and again, it is a 3D world that you're roaming around in. It's vector graphics, though, so it's really just wireframes. But uh, it's sort of framed as you're looking through the radar scope of your tank or the night vision type of thing. So it really works, and it's it's actually a really pretty advanced game for 1980. It's a it's a still a good game to play now. Um, but the reason that it's it's kind of an interesting story is because of what's called the Bradley Trainer. So yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what, what that means. Yeah, so again, it's the first successful quote-unquote 3D game uh, that Atari puts out, first successful 3D game in the, in the arcade. And uh, I guess the Army catches wind of this. The U.S. Army catches wind of it, and there's a bunch of these uh, consultants to the Army, which is a group of retired generals from the Army, and they go out to Atari to ask them to recreate or, you know, mess with their game a little bit, with Battlezone a little bit, and to give them what's called a Bradley Trainer. So what the Bradley Trainer is, is it's designed for the U.S. Army. These guys wanted a targeting trainer for the Bradley fighting vehicle for their troops. So they go to Atari, they think this tank game is great, and they say, hey, make us one. And what's crazy about it is that, you know, they're going to these guys in the valley, right, in San Jose. You know, here's the U.S. Army going to a bunch of pot-smoking hippies who are like, you know, fuck the establishment. And the U.S. Army is coming to them to say, you know, will will you do this work for us? And Ed Rotberg, who was one of the lead programmers of Battlezone, basically refuses. He outright refuses his boss's requests. And Atari's like, no, we're not, 
I'm not doing something for the government. Like, to hell with you. No way. He ends up agreeing to it only after his bosses at Atari say, you're never going to have to ever, we're never going to do anything for the military ever again after this. But let's do this and get this contract. So that's a very interesting piece of history about it. The other interesting history, the other interesting piece about it is that apparently there were only two ever produced. Wow. Right. So there's only two of the Bradley Trainer based upon Battlezone arcade games ever produced. And one of them was delivered to the army and it's lost now apparently. Apparently it was lost between 1981 and now. The second one is in a private collection of Scott Evans and from the urban legend goes is that he actually ends up finding it out in a dumpster outside of outside of freaking uh, Midway Games in the parking lot, out back. <laughs> like he finds the Bradley trainer in a goddamn dumpster <laughs> at Midway. He's dumpster diving. And, at right, Midway he's and dumpster diving. It. And, and oh. so he finds a military training grabs it, device. Yeah, and finds the mil- and so so I I wouldn't even know what to put you know the price on something like that would be for, you know, for the arcade gods. You know, I have no clue what that would be, but... It's a restorated street Yeah, definitely, definitely a very, very, very storied, interesting past to to the Bradley trainer. Um, the, the gunner yoke for it... So, the Bradley trainer, the difference, I believe, is the Bradley trainer, the tank or the vehicle just stays still. Right. And you're just moving the gun, the training. So the yoke for that is actually the yoke for the Bradley trainer for the the battle zone version. <laughs> Bradley trainer is actually based on the actual Bradley fighting vehicle, and that same yoke is, I believe, the one used for Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah. It's this, right, 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 right. So it's the same yoke that's later, a couple years later. It's the same one used in 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 the in the, uh, in the Star Wars vector classic and that everybody all, freaking and loves. And it's awfully familiar to the one we're just speaking about with Firefox as well. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you've ever played the Star Wars arcade game, you're using the firing controls for a Bradley um, tank yeah, or fighting so. vehicle, light tank, whatever. Um, that That's just an interesting story because it does bring up, I mean, pilots still train on simulators today. You know, oh, simulation yeah. and all of that stuff has become a really important part of training and all of that and it I, I would imagine it starts here I don't know how much earlier you can go with stuff like that that's but, true you know now you have flight sims that people can train on and all of that so it's also the story of like you know uh, if I may say money talks bullshit <laughs> walks sure <laughs> because especially for Atari at this point you know I get that the, uh, the developers may not want to work for the government but when they're giving you that large check to do so, uh, every now and then you're going to have to. Right, <laughs> but government contracts are big money. And yeah. I think in 1980, they're 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 also seeking, you know, legitimacy, right? You know, at that time, you know, because they are just a bunch of That's true. pot smoking freaking hippies, mm-hmm. you know, out in San Jose, chilling out, hanging out, developing video games that they didn't think whether or not this. A fad would last or not. Another interesting thing about Battlezone and the the Bradley is that because of its like 3D graphics, 
Some people consider it because you have your goggles on when you're yeah. playing it. Some people, you know, believe it's like the first like virtual reality, you know, hmm. arcade game because the way it's set up. Um, I don't know. That's that's completely up for debate. Obviously, it's funny you mention that. Yeah, I mean, though. it could be similar to like the Virtual Boy. Like, I mean, the Virtual right, Boy is right. not really VR. It just is, it has two screens, basically one for each eye. Exactly. Or the Oculus Rift. Mentioning yeah. the <laughs> VR though, on the, the the actual PlayStation VR, like the most recent one that came out in the PS4, you can get Battlezone, and it looks exactly <laughs> like the arcade game. It does, it. huh? It's the same exact thing, and it looks brilliant too. It looks really good actually on the VR. Yeah, I was only exposed to it with the Atari Twenty Six Hundred port okay. because that yeah, was one too. of my first home systems. And Battlezone was the pack-in. Mm. I believe Battlezone mm. was the pack-in for the Atari 2600 when I got the Atari 2600. Yeah, yeah. I think they went through a bunch of different packs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Hmm. I think I played it on the uh, like the Game Boy. They had that ar- arcade yeah. advance or Atari advance or something like that. I, I played the Remember demo on that. the VR. I have a VR headset. Yeah. I had it. I got rid of it, but. On the PlayStation, I've had it and I played it, and it actually looks really good because you know it's the same color wave where it's just the neon green and everything else is all yeah, black. The out green and, and black like vector. On. Yeah, looks really nice, and you can clearly see like your inside of yeah. the tank. Like oh, it looks cool. really nice. Yeah. I came across a battle zone in recent years in the in arcade, private arcade. A friend owned it. I'd never played it. And you walk up to this thing, and it's a standard size arcade cabinet, but it's like this hulking mass because, like, you, know, you also got to think about it, too, like, think in terms back then. Like, yeah, you walk into arcade, arcade games, they're all the same at that point in time, right? Then you have this thing where it's got, literally has a periscope. Right, Like, yeah. right in the middle of it, in the arcade, yeah. in an arcade, ga- uh, arcade cabinet. So it's like, what in, the, what in the hell is this? Yeah. You know, and then obviously the vector graphics are, you know, beautiful and bright and sharp and... Amazing at that time, but walking up to a periscope to play an arcade game really gave you, I would say, at that time, it gave you the feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm in a tank. I'm driving a freaking tank. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like that's like the definition of escapism. It's like mm. you, you put your face into that periscope and you're not in the arcade anymore. Right. Exactly. You block everything out and you've just got the two. You're looking through the scope and the, you've yeah. got the thing in your hand. We have the, uh, the yeah. green tanks that we're shooting at. Right. right of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and looking mm. at the cab too, it has like a little base on the on the bottom that you can stand on, right? I believe it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and that periscope idea carried on throughout some other games that were, you know, not that great. But how right. large was the periscope? Like, is it was it practical for like you know, anyone from like you know, depending on your height, to be able to control it properly? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, it's four forty six. Yeah, what do you say? It's quarter two. Yeah. Finish it up. Yeah, yeah. you should. Yeah, we got to run out of five. All right, so thanks for listening to this episode of the Arcade Age podcast. We hope you enjoyed, and uh, be sure to check out our other episodes. Thank you for tuning in to the Arcade Age Exhibit podcast. I hope you enjoyed your time with our hosts, Seamus, Zach, Jake, Sean, Chris, and Jose. Tune in next week, and remember, the future is now.